You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Kathy Eternell. Um, as you know, we are an expository preaching church, which means we just take a book of the Bible and go verse by verse through it. And we have been in a very, very dark time in David's life. Extremely dark. It's the time of his, his great sin with Bathsheba. We see that he was a, a very poor father. His, his failures in, in being a father have led to all kinds of problems in his own household. And now he's suffering one of the worst things that I think any parent can suffer is when your own child turns against you. And so he now is in a place where he has to flee from Jerusalem. His son is coming to set himself up as king. He is nothing more on his mind than to destroy his father. What a place. And David, wanting to spare the people from any greater hurt or any greater tragedy coming upon them, he said, it's just best we leave. And so he, he those who want to go with him gather, and, and there is an entourage of people to go. And he comes from, to the Mount of Olives, and it tells us that he wept, but he worshiped. You know, no matter how bad things get in our life, when we come and we fall at the feet of our Lord and we realize that we need him more than anything, it's a time when we can still come into his presence and worship. You are a good God. You're a God that will make a way through the worst things that happen to us in our lives. We believe in that. David believed that even though he was going to suffer the consequences of the things that he that he did wrong. It tells us that last week you, you, read, you heard about um, David being cursed by Shimei. You heard about Ziba who came and, and brought all this food to him, but, but actually threw Mephibosheth under the bus saying that he, he really was not going to come. He was looking for his, his grandfather's kingdom to all be set up again which was a lie. But, you know, even in the midst of of deceit, even in the midst of things being not what they ought to be, God can use those things. I, uh, I have said it many times. I continue to say it. God is a divine economist. He will not waste one thing in our life. He will not. And so the scripture tells us that in verse 14 of 2 Samuel, Chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, like you to open them, if it's on your phone, well, we'll forgive you. <laughs> I think there's just something about holding the book in your hand that, that means a lot. And then you can write down things and circle and put dates and all that stuff that you can't do on your phone. But anyway, it says the king and all the people that were with him, verse 14, Uh, went with him and arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. 
How did he refresh himself? He refreshed himself with the stuff that Zeba brought. He refreshed, the people were able to, to get some refreshing. And I thought about, you know, when David was writing, we find it in the Psalms, and it's actually one of the Psalms of his early life. He said, you prepared for me a table in the presence of mine enemies. I don't know if he knew how real that was going to be. Because now, in the presence of his enemies, God had allowed Zeba to come with food that would take care of them at that time. We see that there are places where God has always met those that are in, in his hands. You know, Jesus, it says of him that he didn't even have a place to lay his head. And it says that women came and ministered unto their needs in the midst of that situation as well. And Paul the Apostle, when they were shipwrecked, remember how the, the folks of that island just came and ministered to their needs. It was a wonderful thing to see. And yet Paul also writes, there were times he was shipwrecked, he was hungry, he was cold, he didn't have enough clothing. So there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes, it's an interesting one, it says, enjoy prosperity while you can. For when hard times strike, realize that both have been allowed by God. Both have been allowed by God. And remember that nothing is certain in this life. We cannot say, because I do this, everything's going to turn out perfectly for me. We know that that's not necessarily true. He will use the circumstances that come into our life for our good. And his great purpose is to conform us into the image of his son that's going to come through the difficult things that we go through in our life. Let's go on to look. It says, Absalom now enters Jerusalem. Now Absalom and all the people of the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. I want to stop there a minute because, you know, this is not giving us a real clear picture of, of exactly what was happening. This wasn't all the people of Jerusalem. These were the people that came back with Absalom from Hebron, where he had set himself up as king. It was a group of people that had gone with him and now were returning with him. All those people came back with him. And with them was Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was David's very trusted uh, advisor, David's great friend. And who is the friend with? His enemy his own son who's turned against him. Absalom came to Jerusalem as a usurper. That he was not the rightful king. And it says Matthew Henry, great uh, commentator, said that God suffers wicked men to prosper in their wicked plots, even beyond their expectation. That's interesting. God suffers evil people to prosper in their plots beyond what they even think can happen. Only that he could disappoint them in their grievous places. Isn't that good? 
He could disappoint them. He could show how foolish they were in the things that they did. Goes on to say that when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. Now Hushai was another of the advisors that David had had, and he was a real friend to David. He was the one that that did go whenever David was leaving the city. And David said, no, no, go back. And we're going to see a little bit more about that later as to the reason why he sent him back. But here he's now coming before Absalom, and he's going, long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom, out of his own pride, out of his own concepts of who he was, thought he was referring to him. He really wasn't. You know, sometimes we can say things, and depending on the hearer, they'll get a different message out of it than what we're really saying. Now, he couldn't come back into the presence of Absalom and say, long live King David. But he didn't also say, long live King Absalom either. He just said, long live the king. You know, sometimes when we're in in tight situations, in situations where you can't necessarily say what you'd really like to say, you gotta pray. That God will protect your words. (laughs) That God will give you the right words to say. Because some people look at this and and see, see Hoshai as a liar. I don't see him as a liar. He expressed, he expressed what he felt. Long live the king, and he meant King David. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Apparently, Hushai has a tremendous reputation of loving David. He knew it. There was no question in his mind that he had loved David and that he was a good friend. You know, sometimes I wonder if people recognize that we're a good friend of Jesus. I wonder if we were put on trial, (laughs) whether we could be convicted for being Jesus' friend. But here in this situation, he says, how is it, it... Is this your real loyalty to your friend? He has no idea that this is his real loyalty to his friend. Right? Because he's come back to infiltrate and be able to be an advisor for for Absalom for the purpose of being able to, to give counsel that Absalom might take rather than the counsel of Ahithophel to thwart the evil counsel of Ahithophel. And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his will I be, and with him I will remain. Well, again, in the ear of the hearer could be two different thoughts. In the ear of Absalom, It sounded like, 
well, the people, God has chosen me, the people's chosen me, everything's fine. This man's really on my side. But what was he actually saying? The Lord and the people of God and those who have chosen the king, that's the ones I'm going to serve. And who was that? What was that king? It was David. But the way he said it, he didn't lie. He didn't lie. But Absalom heard something different. And again, he says, and whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? For I have served your father, so I will serve you. Now, I like another translation a lot better because it says, should I not serve in the presence of his son as I served in your father's presence? Well, what was he in his father's presence? An advisor, right? He was an advisor. Shouldn't I serve in your presence as an advisor as I did in your father's presence? He's not telling what kind of advice he's given. (laughs) His choice of words were not lies. They were still truth. Had Hushai failed? Had he played the part of a hypocrite? Or was this strategic planning? You know, we live in a day where we talk about situational ethics. And I looked up a definition for situational ethics. And it says it's a means where no law (laughs) binds all circumstances. It's a means where no law binds all circumstances. It requires you to be able to discern what the situation is. And as a result, there's no wrong if you use unethical means to do a good. Okay? It discerns the spirit of the law and not necessarily the law. Therefore, it says it's not necessary to hold to God's truths. That's the thought of the day, isn't it? Many people believe if I can steal so that I can feed someone who's hungry, it's okay. People believe that I can lie to protect someone so they're not hurt. People push the boundaries, and they think that if I can do a greater good to relieve suffering, it's okay. And that sounds good, doesn't it? Robin Hood sounds good. But it's not truth. There's two places in scripture where people try to prove the factor that it's okay to lie to do a better good. And the first one they use is the spies with Rahab. Well, look, I mean, look what she did. Wasn't that a blessing to Israel? Look at this. But did you ever go and read the scripture to see what it says and what it gives accommodation to her for? It's not for her lying. Look what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 31. It says, by faith, the harlot Rahab 
perish not with them that believe not, after she welcomed the spies in peace. What did she do? She extended hospitality, right? She looked out for their good. It doesn't say that her lying was the thing that brought about God's favor on her. It was the factor that by faith she did this, and as a result, these men's lives eventually got saved. Now, in James, it talks about the same incident. It says, and in the same way, was not Rahab a harlot also justified by her works? when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. What was her work? She took them in, and then she made a way for them to escape. Not her lie. And then there's the illustration of the midwives in Egypt. And they say, well, there, you know, the midwives lied to Pharaoh about saving the Hebrew boys, the baby boys. But again, let's look at the scripture. Because if we cannot back what we do by the word of God, then we ought to not do it. The word of God is important. It's got to be what we sift everything through. And notice it says, but the midwives feared God feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. And in the 21st verse of Exodus 1, it says, and it came about because the midwives feared God that he established households for them. Wasn't the lie. So, If we're not going to get into this aspect of situational ethics, then how are we supposed to operate? How did Hushai operate? And we would call it strategic planning. And I want to bring you some concepts of what strategic planning is, okay? It is something that determines where you are, the situation you're in, It identifies what is your goal or what is the objective that you have. It develops a plan, and then it executes that plan. In 1 Corinthians, and I want you to hear, or 2 Corinthians, rather, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, I want you to hear these words of Paul because they're showing us that this is the correct way to do something. It says, In verse 12, when we say with confidence, or we can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all of our dealings, we have depended, and this is what's beautiful, we have depended on God's grace and not our own human wisdom. That's how we conduct ourselves before the world and before you. What had they depended on? God's grace, not their own human wisdom. 
And that's how they conducted themselves. So what do you do when the majority seems to be against you? What did David do? Let's go back to chapter 15 and verse 31. And it says, And when it was told to David that all Israel had come against him, and he was told that David, uh, and one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom, that David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. What did he do? What was the, the principal means of us in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of the places where we're in confusion and we don't know what to do? What are we supposed to do? We're to pray. Amen. We're to pray. We're to present our case to God. <laughs> Humble, trustful, and confident in him. Did you get that? Humble, trustful, and confident in him. He has no difficulties Amen. working things out. And we leave it to him to work the best out for our set of circumstances. It goes on to say, here is the strategic planning that, that David had after he prayed. Amen. Okay? After he prayed. He tells Hushai, if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant or your advisor as I have been your father's servant in times past. So I will be your advisor. Then, David says, you'll be able to thwart the counsel of Ahithophel, or of Ahithophel for me. God suffered the pride of Absalom's heart to deceive him. God suffered the pride of Absalom's heart to deceive him. Isn't it interesting that that too is the law of sow and reap? What had Absalom done? He had invited his brother Amnon to a party, right? What did he do there? <laughs> Killed him. And now he was going to be deceived too by his own idea of what he thought he heard from the person who spoke. Men who admire themselves are easily deceived. Men who think that they possess something great can easily be deceived by it looking like somebody's coming alongside of them to give them accommodation. Perception of the hearer makes all the difference. Opadiah, we'll go to Opadiah, <laughs> chapter 3 and verse 1, and listen to these words. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. What gets us into trouble? The arrogance of our heart. We think we know best. We can't be told anything. And boy, that'll get us into trouble faster than anything else. <laughs> Pride has a way 
of, of, of lying to us. We lie to ourselves. It goes on to tell us that Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your counsel, what should we do? And Ahithophel said to Absalom, and listen to this, go to your father's concubines, whom he left to keep his house in Israel, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. What horrible advice. But you see, one of the things that was common is when another king would come in, he would assume all of the wives of the former king. And we know that this is the, the thought here. He was going to go and assume these wives, but worse than that, he was going to go and, and have sexual relations with every one of them so that everybody knows it. He is ambitious. He is a power grabber. But this is terrible counsel because it was against God's law. In in Leviticus 20, verse 11, it says, If there is a man who lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness, both of them shall be put to death. This would be so vile for Absalom to do that it would like burn every bridge of being able to get back in right relationship with his father. What do we have in play here? We have Absalom's pride, don't we? He has declared himself greater than the law. Don't have to listen to what God says. Look who I am. And isn't it interesting that that's exactly what his father did when he took Bathsheba? He declared himself greater than the law. He had no right to do that. Another man's wife. What should have happened to him? He should have died. But God in his mercy said, you aren't going to die. I'm going to forgive you, but there's going to be consequences. And so we see that the consequences are now seen in this portion because it's the fulfillment of what Nathan had declared. Listen to what Nathan had declared. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion and he shall lie with your wives in daylight. (laughs) Indeed, you did it secretly with Bathsheba, but I will do this thing before all Israel under the sun. Again, a law of sow and reap, and you always reap more than you ever sowed. Boy, does that need to be big in our minds. (laughs) Be careful what you sow, because it comes back, and it comes back more. You plant one corn, kernel of corn, you get ears. Mm-hmm. 
And then there was Ahithophel. What motivated him? What to give this horrible advice? Well, who was Ahithophel? He was the grandfather of Bathsheba. He saw what David did in defiling his granddaughter. He saw what David did, how he had her husband killed. He saw all this. And there was a a revenge that was, I believe, in his heart because of that. There was unforgiveness. There was anger. We find that that Absalom, or when he went to get Ahithophel, Ahithophel wasn't even in Jerusalem at that time. There must have been some separation even before this. And his heart just seized with that anger. And you can say, well, yeah, it's justified. But when we try to bring revenge ourselves, it's never justified because vengeance is God's. And regardless of how someone has hurt us, it's not licensed for us to do a horrible thing like he did because not only did Ahithophel, you know, hurt these women, he hurt Absalom, he hurt Israel, he hurt everyone by his own vengeance. Many people were injured. There's a very interesting scripture, Revelation 21.8. I remember when my one son, we couldn't trust him any further than we could see him. And one of the scriptures I made him write was Revelation 21.8. And I want you to hear this scripture. It says, But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderer and the immoral person and the sorcerer and the idolater and all liars, that was the point I was trying to get across to him. Their part shall be in the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. But I want you to see what it started out with. It started out in some translations saying the fearful, A better word is cowardly. And then I begin to research this concept of cowardly. And I want to let you know what I found. It's lacking nobility of character. And not having a quality of purpose. What's the first thing that's going to send people to hell? (laughs) lacking the nobility of character and not having a good purpose for your life. What's the purpose for our life? To be conformed into the image of his son. What's the greatest nobility we could have is to look like Jesus. And when we fail in that, we're cowards. Ahithophel was a coward. Ahithophel was like Judas. He was unfaithful and and he showed uh, unkindness to a friend. 
And in Psalm 41, verse 9, and Psalm 41, Psalm 3, Psalm 4, Psalm 55 are all psalms that were written during a time when David was running from Absalom. And notice what it says. Even my best friend, the one who I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. That was Ahithophel. So it goes on to say in verse 22, they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubine in the sight of all Israel. It didn't say that it pitched a tent for him on a roof. It says on the roof. I wonder if it was the roof, roof where David had his first sight of Bathsheba. Now in those days, the counsel of Ahithophel was as if one was consulting the word of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both of David and of Absalom. What was Ahithophel's reputation? That he had all the winning ideas. It was as if his strategy was that given by God. And you know, when people get into places like that, where it seems like they seem to always have the right things to say, where their strategy seems to be the best, what happens? Look who I am. Pride whelms up. People are listening to me. He was known to be a strategic thinker. I know someone else who kind of was like that. And his name was Lucifer. What happened with Lucifer? It says he was full of wisdom. And he got caught up in who he was. And his very pride led not only to his uh, his eventual downfall, which will be, but it leads to the downfall of many who follow him. So what do we do with this passage? How does this affect us? Well, God can use what men think to their own downfall. Boy, is that true, huh? Just look at our nation. God is using what men think to their own downfall. And pride makes a poor follower of truth. Why? Because we think we're something special. We can do our own thing. And hasn't it been since the time of the judges where it says every man did that which was right in their own eyes? Has it changed? We live in a world where men, situation ethics, other things, men do that which is right in their own eyes. And then bitterness and unforgiveness, undealt with, will alter, alter, <laughs> alterly destroy us. 
it will. We cannot let unforgiveness, we cannot let this absolute attitude of bitterness remain in us. It'll destroy us. And one other thing we see from this passage of Scripture, and I think we need to hear this loud and clear in the day in which we live. It is wise to slow down and examine the counselors that you have before you operate on their words. We have too many people listening to the popular, even in Christian circles, without taking it back past the word. We need to be careful what we let come into our ear gate and what we put confidence in. There's nothing else but the book. Most important thing we can do is not listen to all those people saying all those things out there unless we take it past the book. What made David a man after God's own heart? He knew where to run when he fell down. He knew his failures and he knew where to run for forgiveness. He knew where to run when everything was breaking loose around him because where else do you go? to the Lord. He could recognize his wrong. And you know, he wrote, and I would like to read this portion of Psalms to you because we actually sing this or have sung it in our church, but it's in the third Psalm. And it says, I cried unto the Lord for, let me go to verse three, for thou, O Lord, art a shield to me my glory and the lifter of my head. Now that, there's a custom that goes along with this. And when someone was in debt or someone was in distress, the normal thing is to what? Drop your head. And if you were to drop your head and I would come to you and I would take my hand and lift you to where you see my eyes and I see yours, I would be saying whatever your debt Whatever your distress, whatever your failure, I'm here to make the difference. Jesus is our glory and the lifter of our head, and he poises our eyes, and we focus them on him. And he makes the difference, because whatever situation we're in, he's there to meet us. And David goes on to say, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, and then it says, Selah, or Selah, stop and think on that. And then he says, I will lie down and sleep, and I will wake, for the Lord will sustain me. Yes. Today he's our glory, the lifter of our head. And David is in a straight we're gonna, we've got that cliffhanger now. 
What's going to happen? What's, what kind of counsel is going to come here? How is Ahithophel going to get in there and make a difference? That's for next time. <laughs> if you get a chance, if you've missed some of the series of this portion of David's downfall, get a chance to go back and listen to these sermons. Because, boy, there's some good things. We grow through the failures of others if we'll have eyes to see. And we grow in our ability to deal with them when we put our eyes on Jesus. Shall we pray? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.